Good morning, NBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to the story. And guess who's on the bottom fold of today's LNP's edition of the entertainment section? It's me, according <laughs> right on. with a few other people. Uh, getting it out, Earspace, The Journal, Man Chronicles, and Stranger Than Christian. Be sure to check out those other local podcasts. Today, I have a super awesome guest, Mr. Vince DeStefano. Vince's love of music and concerts started early. His bedroom was right above the jukebox in their family tavern, so he loves a really good bass line. Every time the jukebox man showed up with the latest singles, he collected the old ones, and his parents gave him their free reign over the hi-fi. Early favorites include Help and Magical Mystery Tour. His dad co-produced concerts and music festivals in the tri-state area, letting him tag along and get glimpses into the logistics, stage productions, and rock and roll lifestyle. Starting with the Eagles at the Civic Center, uh, Civic Arena in 1979, his best guess is that he's seen about 700 acts over the years. Vince was also fascinated by photography at an early age, poring over album inserts and the Rolling Stone magazine covers. His mom gave him her camera, her camera, a Canon, the day he set off for college, and he's been shooting ever since. A professional writing graduate from Gannon University. Vince moved from Western PA to Lancaster County to pursue a career in journalism but ended up working in technology when the publishing company he worked for began developing newsletters and magazines about this thing called the Internet. He's been the IT director for Godfrey, a world-ranking B2B marketing firm for over 25 years. The shooting continued, though, with side hustles ranging ranging from weddings to tourism and real estate photography. His happy place, where everything else just melts away, is at the concerts with his Nikon in his hand. Vince currently lives in Lancaster, PA, with his partner Michelle, a marketing professional, and their golden retriever, Lucy. You can find Vince and his projects at www.focusphoto.biz. Vince, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me, Corey. This is this is a lot of fun. Yeah, man. I'm excited to get. We got a lot of topics to get into. Uh, first off, you mentioned how you got into music and, and photography, but what what was the passion behind it? What what was the I want to go and do this because of this reason? Right. Well, it didn't start all at once. The first thing was music, um, and from the time I was a little kid, uh, I've I've listened to albums. I've seen concerts. Uh, and I feel really fortunate that I was able to take that passion, which has stuck with me my whole life, and combine it with a passion that I grew into, right? Mm. You're not born knowing photography. It's a skill that you have to develop and whatnot. So anytime you can take two things you really love to do and put them together, it never seems like work. The hours just melt away, and you just love it. Like uh, Michelle, my partner, um, she was watching me one time at a concert <clears throat> that I was shooting, and uh, I came back from the break, and she said, "Wow, I just love watching you do that. I can tell that this is your, this is your happy place. You are totally in the zone. You know, that's such a cool thing." Um, so yeah, anyone who has a passion uh, for music and for photography, you know, explore putting those together. Give it a try sometime. I can maybe later on provide some tips on on how to do that. Um, but you know, live music has been part of my life as long as I can remember. Uh, as you mentioned, my first concert was the Eagles at the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. I was nine or ten years old. My mom and my Uncle Dave took me along. Just blew my mind. And we had great seats, too. 
That's, that's good. Uh, yeah, and, and being a little kid. Oh, and it was the year that uh, 79, 80, so the Pirates uh, were in the World Series. Right, and Steelers, yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah, Pittsburgh, it was hot. It was hot. Joe, Everywhere. Joe Walsh comes out with a Pirates hat on, and the crowd just went nuts. And they start with Hotel California. Of and I knew the words to almost every song. Now, they did play some new stuff off their new album, The Long Run. And you know when you go to see a concert sometimes, you're like, oh, I hope they don't spend a lot of time on the new stuff because you want right. to hear all the hits. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't mind that too much. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's just been a thing that I've been fortunate to kind of merge together uh, and turn into one part of my life, an important part of my life. So you, you do photography and music now. What was your career path? Yeah, so I went to college not really knowing what I wanted to do. So I started out as a business major for one year. And then, this is going to baffle people who are watching this who know me, I was a criminal justice major for one semester. And my college advisor said, I don't know if this is for you. You keep missing the court dates that you're supposed to go to and observe and, and whatnot. But your writing is really good in your papers. You ought to do that. And mm. uh, I was Dr. Minot from uh, Gannon, and that's some of the best advice I ever got in college. Um, so I switched to a writing major. I enjoyed it so much. It was so much fun. I love my classes. Big difference between that and accounting classes and right. you know things like that. Uh, but uh, so worked for the student newspaper, uh, the Gannon Knight, and I got the uh, album review uh, job. And I don't know that that worked out so well. I thought it was great, but think about this, it's 1989, I'm in college, and I'm doing album reviews for the newest Rush album, or for Skinner's comeback album in 1991, right. and the college crowd was sort of like, this is dad music, you know, classic rock, but I did it anyway. Um, you know, the other album reviews would have been, you know, maybe U2 or the Violent Femmes, and, and those are great bands, but at that point in my life, that's the music I was into. Right. You know, you go through phases, you know, and Junior high, it was all about Megadeth, Metallica, Iron Maiden, ACDC. Uh, and I've never dropped any of that. I just kept adding to it in terms mm. of my interests. So, you know, I did come to like those other alt bands and the college bands, but classic rock is still there. Metal is still there. You know, it's uh, your, your library of music just keeps growing. And at different uh, times uh, of the day, week, month, or year, you go to different things, even seasonally, right? Wintertime is a time for... You know, I'm on the treadmill. That's when the heavy metal music goes in your uh, headphones, mm -hmm. and uh, versus a nice summer walk, you know, where you might want to hear something different. So, yeah. So you mentioned going to school for writing. What are and uh, I've noticed a lot of musicians have trouble with the writing. <laughs> right. What are some of the best tips, tricks you've learned from from that class and from then on? Sure, sure. Well, I'm not a musician. I play a little bit. Um, right. I, I'm, I'm an amateur basement late-night guitarist, and Michelle and I will uh, hang out sometimes and basically do karaoke, and I'll strum along. Uh, but writing is all about being concise and getting from point A to point B and really cutting out words that are just not necessary. The great thing about wanting to learn to write today, if you're not you haven't been trained in it or you're just getting starting out there's so many resources online to figure that out you can um, use Grammarly for example mm. it's going to give you tips on you know this sentence is really confusing and it's going to tell you 
the audience for this would be seventh grade. And that's usually what you want to go for, right? If it's right. a seventh grade reading level, and it'll tell you how long it's going to take somebody to read it. So uh, just for the record, pretty... I don't work for Grammarly, right, yeah. but, you know, it's a, it's a good tool. There's a free version of yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, being concise, getting from point A to point B, uh, avoiding cliches as much as you can, uh, that kind of thing. So I'm a much better writer than I am speaker. So mm. <laughs> if I have a choice between the two, I'll write something instead of saying it out loud. So. And that's the skill of writing. I, it's a lost talent, I do believe, um, among uh, at least musicians. And because back in the day, you had to put your, you have to put yourself out there, and the best way to do that is through writing. Or f nowadays, I guess it's more uh, chosen to be spoken rather than right. Than written. Right. But yeah. you got to write a speech. Yeah, you know, it's I've, I've written speeches before, and. Uh, you, that's, that's kind of weird because if you're writing it for somebody else, you've really got to get into their life mm -hmm. um, and, you know, talk about them in a way or with words they would use. So I actually wrote a speech one time for a good friend of mine, George, who was being uh, inducted into the, I think it was the Pennsylvania Tennis Hall of Fame. So he's a tennis pro and he was getting inducted and, uh, you know, we help each other out with different things. And he asked me to write that speech. And you know, uh, watching him give it was such a great honor for me, too, because, you know, it sounded like his voice. So I, I viewed that as a success in my uh, short speech writing career. <laughs> I was going to say, if, if, you can if you can write something uh, in the way that another person speaks, you've done your job. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. So as a photographer, you, you said you, that wasn't your main career. It was just a kind of a passion that grew into... Something more. It did, right. Yeah, um, so my dad and I went into a business together. Uh, and we're from Western PA, <clears throat> and we owned a tavern out there, and he owned uh, some rental cabins, things like that. And one day he thought, man, it'd be really cool if we use this new Internet thing and we put up a site that people could go to and they could check out the restaurants in the area and, and rentals and things like that. Of course, that's very commonplace today. You expect that. If you're going to go to Rehoboth, you know, you do a search and – it's all there, mm -hmm. you know, all the rental properties. But that was kind of a new thing back then. And the problem was we didn't have a lot of content other than some ads, you know, on the page. And I wrote some articles for it, you know, the top ten things to do while you're here. There's the river, there's hiking, canoeing, all of that. But we really needed images for this site. So um, we started selling enough ads that I could buy camera gear, uh, which I did. Uh, now, I lived out here in the Lancaster area at that time. But he stayed there, and he ran the business part of it. I wrote the content. And I'd come out back out there a couple times a year with my camera and just take a ton of photos uh, out in the woods and, you know, things like that, uh, native pines and the trails and, and whatnot, and uh, then use those for the website. So if we went to hiking, there would be one of my photos there for hiking. Um, and that's really where I, I learned outdoor nature photography, but also how to use my gear and you know, what kind of lenses that you need and uh, ISO, all that, all that technical stuff, but also the creative part of it, which is framing and mm. looking for um, the, looking the for best it. lighting. Okay. You know, you're walking down a trail, up ahead you see sunbeams coming through the trees, now there's a shot. Right. You know, and the technical stuff, you know, it, it always develops. It took many years before I figured out it's worth carrying a tripod around in the woods so mm -hmm. you can set up there and, you know, reduce camera shake and all of that. So it's an ongoing learning process. You know, I never stop uh, learning, learning about it. 
So we ran that for 15 or 20 years, actually. Uh, and that was a really good, really good learning experience for me. Um, and then when I moved out here uh, and, and worked for some of the local papers, um, you know, they handed me a camera and, you know, I covered high school soccer games and, you know, snapped a few pictures. And so you can find my work in the Lidditz Record Express archives if you care to go back and look. It's probably not very good. And I thought it was really hard to cover soccer. Like, I played a little bit in high school, but, you know, it's not like covering football, right. which I know. Right, <laughs> you of know? And I see a football broadcasting every Sunday, so mm-hmm. I know the tricks and the things that they talk about. Uh, but it was still fun. It was still worthwhile. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the writing and the photography is just, I wish I could say it was all planned. It just kind of happened to me, you know. I ended up in these situations, and figured out what I liked and, and stuck with it. You took advantage of it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's that's what a lot of people, um, things will happen to you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the decision of whether you're going to do something about it that really uh, makes or breaks that opportunity. A- absolutely. And then you also meet people in your life along the way, too, who maybe they spot something in you and uh, step in a little bit, you know, counsel you, uh, mentors. Uh, my my first and only real photography mentor was a man named Scott Kreiner, who used to be Godfrey's photographer. And uh, I remember when I wanted to buy a camera and whatnot, I'm like, what kind should I get? And he's like, well, I have all Nikon stuff, so if you ever want to borrow any of my lenses, you can get a Nikon, and I'll be better able to show you, you know, how to do things. And so he let me hang out in the studio. I could go in there after hours, you know, borrow the equipment, borrow the lighting, uh, at a certain point then when he needed help, even though I was the IT director, if there weren't any servers on fire or anything and I had time, he'd take me out on the road with him and uh, we would photograph construction sites and commercial flooring and, you know, all that kind of thing. So Scott's been a huge, you know, influence uh, as far as my photography career goes. And now today you've got, you know, so many resources online. Uh, I mean, anything you want to learn, you can learn it. And if there's any aspiring photographers out there, uh, I can't remember the name of the site right now, but if you if you Google this properly, you'll find it. It's like a camera simulator, right? So it'll show an image, and then you can play with the settings uh, on the screen. You click on different things, and then you find out how shutter speed relates to aperture, relates to ISO, oh, that's and so all cool. of that. Yeah, so it's kind of a way to do that before you go outside. But still, going outside or with your camera is really the best way. Out in the field best is the best way to learn. Yeah. yeah. And there's a cycle that, you know, new photographers go through. And actually, it's a learning process uh, that applies to almost anything. It's called the stages of learning and mastering. So you've got, you know, unconscious incompetence. So that's where everybody starts, right? I don't know that I'm really not that good. Mm-hmm. And you get a camera and you start taking some pictures. Or you learn to play guitar and you play guitar for your friends. And, of course, they're supportive. They're like, that's really great. You know, you don't want to encourage you to keep it up. But you're just not aware Right. You know, of how poorly you're doing it. Uh, and then you've got conscience, conscious incompetence, which is, okay, I've been doing this for a little while. Boy, I got a lot to learn. You know, I wish I knew how to do shutter drag or work with, you know, flash photography or something like that. Then you move into a phase uh, that's called conscious competence. Okay, so I think that's where I'm at. So I know that I'm pretty good at this. I've been doing it for a while. Of course, there are people, you know, more skilled than I am, but I'm competent at it, and I know that I am. And then you have unconscious competence, which is Michael Jordan, Tom Brady. Right. Like, you're so good at it, you don't even think about it anymore. You it's know. muscle memory. 
muscle memory, and I can't believe I just used like Michael Jordan in a, in a sentence talking about myself. Please, um, you know, <laughs> nothing like that. But you know, and and I only learned about this recently, mm-hmm. and as I'm reading through it, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I think I hover between conscious competence and once in a while unconscious competence, you know, and uh, with photography at least. Right. Uh, now, you know, I strum the guitar, I am consciously incompetent, so, <laughs> and I've tried lessons, I just don't think I have the patience for it, but, you know, I can strum 20, 30 songs and have fun with it, and that's, you that's know, okay. that's good enough for me, yeah. None of your passion has to be profitable either, right? No, it's not right. really, yeah, it's just something we do, something we do for fun. But, uh, yeah, going back to the live music thing, I mean, <clears throat> as you mentioned in the intro, you know, when I was a kid, I got to see some pretty cool things. Uh, my dad and two of his friends got involved in, you know, local productions. Some of it might have been similar to the Roots and Blues Fest, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. Uh, and then they were doing some shows, you know, like at Tri-City Speedway. That's a pretty big speedway, all-day concert thing out in Western PA, uh, things like that. Uh, they did one for a couple years called Music Alley. That was really cool. So it's out in the middle of nowhere, a big stage. Uh, it'd be five, six bands. You know, they were regional bands, Donnie Iris type bands, or you know, B.E. Taylor and, and stuff like that. But people love the Head East, Atlantic Rhythm Section, those kinds of bands. Michael Stanley band. Um, and boy, that was something. Um, you know, and I, I worked at those kind of. You know, uh, when I first started out, I parked cars. And uh, that was really dangerous, actually, because really? all day long you've got people, you know, coming in on, on motorcycles, and it's hot. And, and one time someone fired a bottle rocket and it landed right next to my ankle. And, you know, you're out in the sun all day long. It's 90 degrees. And, of course, you know, I didn't really think about hydration like right, I do today. You know, yep. make sure you drink enough water. Make sure you bring a water bottle, yeah. especially if you're a musician or a right. photographer. And uh, I kind of graduated to helping out in the backstage area, um, mainly just staying out of the way because there were professionals there doing it. But it was it was a really neat experience. Uh, when I was in college, I'd bring some friends from from school back home with me. We would go to those, and we just had a had a great time. But I mean, I, so many images of that are just burned into my memory. You know, one of them is um, I'm looking for my dad because it's one in the morning. And I'm 15 years old, so I don't know what my mom thought about all of this. She probably would rather I didn't do this, but right. there I was. And uh, there's a management trailer off to the side. I remember walking into this thing, and, and when I think about these uh, events, I think of them in black and white, like a grainy black and white Woodstock concert photo. And so my dad's there and his two partners. It was, it was JBT Productions, which was Jeff, Vince, and Tom, mm-hmm. you know, real creative. Uh, I didn't know anything about marketing then or I might have helped him come up with a better name. But I walk in this trailer, it's filled with cigarette smoke, everyone's drinking a beer. There's a card table in the middle of the room piled with cash. You know, that was their take for the, for the concert that day. And I look over and there's like a sheriff's deputy there that they had hired, you know, wearing a big old gun right. on his side. And, you know, that was like, holy cow, this is some really interesting stuff. And that's on top of seeing, you know, the musicians getting ready to go out and uh, warming up and practicing and getting that view from the side of the stage and there's groupies and all that kind of stuff. And I was just sucked into that. I, you know, I loved it, every minute of it. What's one thing you think uh, impressed you most about your father? Well, he was, he was such an entrepreneur who could 
really think outside the box a little bit in the business community in which he lived and worked. So, you know, he started a restaurant business, had that for, gosh, you know, 30 years in, in a place where no one thought it would ever take off. And ended up becoming the place to go. Now, this is a very rural area. So, so yeah. say, if, if there's no place there, you can make <laughs> right. a place to go. I mean, there were some other places, right. but they were, you know, but it, it turned into a real, uh, you know, family destination you know after every high school basketball game players and the coaches and the parents would come there and eat pizzas and get pitchers of beer and pitchers of soda and all that kind of thing um so he really made that something was called vince's tavern and it's still there he he sold it quite a while ago i don't think it's the same as it was back in the day but i might be reminiscing my own memories of that good memories uh and and i just grew up in public you know i was uh I was his son and my brother Tony as well, and so we were involved in that business. We knew everybody. They knew us. You know, they, the old timers would come in and razz us, you know, mm-hmm. in the morning, that kind of thing. And we worked hard. Uh, we cleaned the tavern. Uh, he had those cabin rentals, so we'd follow him around and put firewood to all the cabins. Of course, there's music playing the whole time. You know, right. my dad was a big Stones guy. Mom was Beatles, but uh, they both had good taste in music. And, uh, and then he, he just went on to, you know, do some real estate stuff. Uh, he uh, bought a furniture manufacturing company one time, you know, that, uh, that made cedar log furniture. Huh. You know, so all these different things. And, and I'm sure people told him he was kind of crazy. You know, what are you getting into this for? His accountant maybe told him he was crazy. But he, he made it all work. And he did it, right. He did it. And it's, it's his personality, I think. Uh, you know, people trust him and, and for good reason. I was going to say, yeah, if, if, if you know what you're doing, you can do about anything you want. That's right. It doesn't matter if people are going to call you crazy because once you succeed, they'll be like, oh, maybe, maybe he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> right. You get a track record yeah. uh, for, for success, basically. So, But, you know, uh, he, he doesn't live out in Western PA anymore. He moved up, uh, up to New York. But, uh, you know, I feel fortunate that, uh, you know, my family name out there, meant something, you mm. know, and, and his parents were uh, restaurateurs and tavern owners as well. And his brother, my Uncle Tom, is a newspaper reporter. So, you know, we were, uh, you know, we had some nice uh, connections in, in the community and just knew everyone. Now, it's hard to get away with things when you're in high school, when everyone knows your dad. Right. Uh, you know, I remember one time being, you know, we used to, this is how rural it is, we used to ride four-wheelers and snowmobiles to school. <laughs> and I was, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I lived about five miles away, and one time I was late. So instead of taking the back roads and dirt roads to get to school, I just went right down Route 36. And a uh, cop, <laughs> happens to be a cop there, and uh, he pulls me over, and he sees it. It's me. He's like, does your dad know you're doing this? And I'm like, probably not. And he goes, all right, well, boy, A, B, and C can happen to you, but I'll tell you what, park your four-wheeler behind the shed over there, and I'll drive you in. So... Everyone's in homeroom. There's big windows in the front, and this police car pulls in, and I get out the back. And I'll tell you what, that cop did me the hugest favor being 15, 16 years old. You know, my street cred went way up at that point right. in time. They're like, oh, I wonder what that was about. So I tried to stay mysterious about it. It's, um, I, I grew up the same way, actually, with my father. He was a, a, a local famous musician that played around with a bunch of people. Oh, and they're cool. like, oh, you're Freddie's boy. And I'm like... 
yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone at my yeah. school knew knew my dad or had had my dad, and, right? And so you can't get away can't with get away with things anything. So, nope, there's it's a double edged sword for sure. You know, I can get you out of trouble, but you know, he heard everything I was up to. Right. I only found out later in life, you know, that he knew about some shenanigans. Like I knew about that. I'm like, you did, and you let me do it. You know, it's like, well, you seem to have a good head in your shoulders, and this is how you learn. So, okay. Right. No. It, um, I don't think it happens today. Yeah. You know, everything is so... Protected. Uh, well, it's so extreme. So oh. It seems so dangerous, right? Like, to just let your kid out loose in the world and right. figure it out on his own. It's kind of scary. It's a little scary. But yeah. it is the one of the best ways you can learn. Uh, every time I tell this story about my mother, people go, oh, how dare you? Uh, or how dare she? <laughs> right. When I was nine years old, my mother uh, gave me a cigarette. And she said, here's how you do it. Go ahead and try. And I did it, and I coughed up a lung. Oh, yeah. And Turned she, green. <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, so she gave me a drink of water and said, don't ever smoke again. <laughs> and I never have smoked a cigarette ever since. Good, good. Yeah, nah, that's a nasty habit to get into. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just going back to the, the concerts and stuff, just seeing all of that. And then, uh, you know, as I, as I sort of grew up and went to school and learned to tell stories mm. and then also was interested in photography seems like a natural you know sort of uh, progression you know I'd see photographers at work too like uh, another show I saw when I was a little kid was at the Warner Theater in Erie PA and I might have been even younger you'd have to look up the date of the song that was their hit single at the time but it was the band Toto now this is before Africa and Rosanna <laughs> okay so their single hold the line was the big song uh, on the radio and that was a JVT production and I got to go backstage and meet the bands and I just remember looking at these guys and I didn't know who they were then right. later on I found out holy cow Jeff Beccaro one of the greatest drummers in the world Steve Lukather shook my hand and gave me their autograph and there you know there's flash bulbs going off everywhere and there's photographers and they're posing and I'm just looking at all this and you know soaking it in and, and like I said, those memories are kind of in black and white, you know, like a documentary almost. Yeah. You know, so little things, not little, big things like that just kind of, you know, they accumulate over time, I guess, and, and make you who you are and uh, determine what you're into and what, you, what you're not and so forth. So, uh, yeah, music festivals, rock concerts. I mean, I feel really, really lucky. Michelle always says to me, you've had a really interesting childhood. Do you know that? And I I didn't think I did for the longest time. Right. You know, until I grew up. But people will think, well, my uh, I didn't have a childhood because I was doing all that. But well, no, you can. I did. Just yeah. it was different. It was different. It was all. different. Uh, so you know, getting into the local concert photography scene, I mean, that's been a relatively new thing for me. Um, it started maybe 2012, 2013. Uh, some friends of mine had a band. Uh, called Slim Fit. Uh, and Tony, if you're watching, I, I wish you guys would get back together. But I love that band, local band. Uh, two or three albums, really great. Uh, one guy worked with me at the office, and I, I knew some of the other guys through uh, uh, other uh, other methods or other means. But uh, just for fun, you know, because I liked the band, and they were my friends. I'd take my camera out, take pictures, and they seemed pretty well received. And so if they played again, I did it again. And then they had an album release party at Talis, so I was sure to show up and, and cover that. So this goes back to those stages of learning, right, where, you know, uh, I think I was maybe uh, a little more confident than I 
deserve to be at that point. I go back and look at them now, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could, you know, redo that. Some of it's camera technology. You know, I had a, mm. a D300, and uh, today I use a D850, an Nikon, and so you can get away with a lot more without worrying about noise and, you know, things like that, and faster shutter speeds, you know, so the tools do help. Uh, but some of the greatest rock photographers, like, you know, Mick Rock, he, did, he was using film, and he figured it out and got these amazing pictures. And if, you, if you've seen the iconic, iconic uh, photo of David Bowie and, and Mark Ronson on a train mm-hmm. and they're eating lunch, you know, and that's an interesting thing about the, the, the best-known music or, or rock photographers. Their greatest shots aren't the ones of the guy up on stage playing guitar or the drummer. We all want to see that, right? We want to see the fingers on the strings and the singer's face and, and all of that. But their iconic photos are the behind-the-scenes yeah. photos where Mick Jagger shows up with Bianca uh, at an Andy Warhol opening, and it's at, you know in, in Manhattan, and they're right. just... They like look Chuck so cool. Barry and Bo Diddley hanging out. Yeah, and Keith Richards yep. and BB King, you know, all the all that kind of stuff. And you know, I, I can't say that's anything that anybody could reasonably aspire to. You've got to be in the right place at the right, right time. time right, you yeah. know, I mean, Linda McCartney was an awesome rock photographer, but she was Linda McCartney, so she had course, access right, to things, yeah. you know, that mere mortals don't. Or Ann Leibovitz, you know, yeah, all those kind of. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, so I started shooting, uh, Slim Fit and found some opportunities to do some other bands in the area too. It really took off, um, I was at TELUS one night <coughs> shooting Solar Federation. A friend of mine plays bass in that band. I don't know if you're familiar with Solar Federation, but they're a Rush tribute band. They're awesome. I mean, they're so much fun to watch if you love Rush. And even if you don't love Rush, you will gain an appreciation for their music watching these four people just nail this up mm. on stage. And um, so I'm doing my thing, which is moving around constantly. I'm that photographer that doesn't care about getting on my stomach behind the drum rig to get a get shot. The shot. It comes up here, so I'm dirty and sweaty when this is done. And here's a side tip for a photographer, stay in shape, stay flexible too, because it's a lot of work. But uh, I get a tap on the shoulder, and there's a guy, it's uh, Dan Gillespie, and he introduces himself and says, hey, you know, we could use another photographer for the uh, Roots and Blues Festival. What do you think? And I don't know if I said on the spot I would do it, but I didn't wait too long. Right. And uh, that was really cool. That was a great experience. Uh, One of those serendipitous moments, you know, where he was doing the same thing I was doing there, and neither of us were getting paid for it. We just like posting the pictures and supporting, you know, local bands and music and stuff like that. Um, so I got the Roots and Blues assignment at the Elks Club and really just fell in love with uh, uh, taking pictures at, at shows at that point in time. That was a lot of work. That was three days at the, at the Elks. Uh, I uh, looked up my uh, fitness tracker afterwards, you know. I ended up walking 16 miles over the course of, of those three days, you know, going here, going there, back and forth. and. 4,000 photos to go through, and, you know, it's it's not a thing that you get rich from doing, right? The pay was the pay, no matter mm-hmm. how hard I worked, but, you know, I, I probably would have done it for free. Uh, it was just so much fun, and the networking then that goes on. So there's a really neat uh, network of local photographers who concentrate on the music scene, uh, and uh, Dan, Brian, Inez, uh, Howie, you know, I got to meet all these people, that I didn't know before, and now we hang out. 
and they were all at the uh, East Pete Blues Festival. Yeah. So, what'd you think about that? Was that awesome or what? Dude, that was incredible for yes. those for those who didn't go at the East East Petersburg. They put on is it annual? I think. Yeah, I think so. Annual. Uh, they put on a blues festival. It's it's completely free. You just go there, bring a chair, sit sit out, watch incredible acts. Uh, there was you know incredible local acts, blues on the loose that we've had on before, Bobby and Gentile and uh, uh, Tiffany Pollock. And I can't remember the first few. Smokehouse Four. Smokehouse Four. Yeah. And then late, uh, what what was the the last act that Cl- Clarence Beatty. Yeah. Clarence Beatty. He's awesome. And yeah. he brought on a uh, legend, Benny Turner, uh, who was Freddie's Ki- Freddie King's brother, right. longtime bass player. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah. So I remember running into you there, yeah. and and you're like, well, aren't you taking pictures? So the story there is, Smokehouse Four was the first band to go on. And they needed some high-quality images for their own promotion. They hired me to come out there and do that. And once that was done, I was like, I'm going to put my camera in the car, have a beer, and just enjoy this day. So I think that's when I mm-hmm. when I ran into you. But, yeah, that was that was awesome. And to have it in East Pete, which is a mile away from where I live, too, that, right. that was really cool. But, it was uh, really funny. Whenever Benny, Benny Turner came up, all of the photographers were just there. Yeah. Just, it was if, very funny. It was like... <laughs> Moss to a lantern. Even if they didn't know really who he was, he kind of looked like he was somebody yeah. important or famous or legendary or mm-hmm. something something like that. But yeah, Bobby Gentile uh, and his band with Tiffany Pollock, they're just great. Incredible. Uh, they're they're definitely my favorite local band that, that does originals. Their, their album's fantastic. And uh, Clarence Beatty, um, I learned about him at Lancaster Roots and Blues. Uh, so that was fun. That was fun to do that too. Oh, he was, was he there too? Claire, Clarence was at Roots and Blues, oh, yeah. not this past year, but the, the year before. Okay. And that's where I discovered Bobby, and, um, you know, I just love everything he does, and he's just such a cool character. And He's a very cool character. Yeah, and to get to, to be able to get in close and take pictures and say hi after the set. You know, anyone who says that there's not a little bit of, like, um, you know, an allure to being a little bit of an insider is kind of fooling themselves. It's yeah. cool to have it's the, the pass cool. and to go where you want and get to meet some people. Uh, at the last Roots and Blues, um, I was at Zoe Tropolis. Uh, is that where it was? But I got to meet um, Liberty DeVito. Liberty DeVito. And yeah, Davis and I got and a selfie with him. Yeah. And, you know, I said, holy cow, you, you know, amazing world-class drummer. And I was actually standing next to Bobby, I think, and uh, I said, is that? Because, yeah, Liberty DeVito. And I said, who played with? He goes, yeah, but don't say that word if you talk to him. Like, don't mention Billy Joel, really? right? Because I don't think, you know, no. I think I don't think that all went well. I think he's got a book about his gotcha. his life with Billy Joel, and maybe there was some animosity. So anyway, just fun little things that happen along the way, you know? It's a, it's incredible the people that uh, you get to meet when you're just, a, uh, not you don't even have to be like a full insider, just like a little part yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. You, get, you know, yep. Yeah, I, I know very much so. I've... I've gotten to meet people that I have no business ever, or I had no business <laughs> right. to ever meet, right? Yeah, um, true. Until I was a part of it. And yeah. it's, and once you, once you get a part of it, it's so much easier to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if, you know, if you're, if you're pretty competent at it too, uh, and you're there, you're, you're doing photography at a show, I mean, that really helps. So for sure, you know, I'm, I mentioned I'm the guy that kind of likes to dig in there and get in there. But then in the back of my mind all the time, I'm thinking, you know, am I being a pain in the you know what, mm-hmm. right? Am I blocking the view? So I try to 
give it a break, you know, from time to time, get out of the way, or maybe go off to the side of the stage where I'm not blocking anyone's view or anything, you know, or anything like that. It's kind of hard because at a certain point in a show like that, uh, people are drinking and it gets more crowded, so you're going to lose access to the front of the stage right. area. So that's a thing you learn, which is, you know, save your side shots till later in the show, so you're not standing there with people spilling beer and bumping into you, and you know. So there's all kinds of uh, little tips and, and tricks like that. Um, you know, one eye through the viewfinder, the other eye is kind of looking around, you know, to see what's happening next. Did the bass player move into the light? He's been in the dark the whole time. It looks like he's walking over into the light. Now's my chance to, to get, uh, to get a good photo of him. Uh, you know, I, I guess anyone who does it, like my friends in the local community, develop their sort of own style or approach to doing it, and that's determines what the photos come out like. You know, but there are some core principles there. Like you, you want to represent everyone in the band if you can, mm-hmm. because you know this isn't. Taylor Swift, where it's okay if all the shots are of Taylor Swift. These are hardworking local musicians, guitarists, bass players, keyboard players. So, you know, I go for equal representation uh, as far as that goes. Uh, and it helps to just really be a music fanatic and to know the material if you can. So, so know when the solo's coming yeah, up. Exactly. So I was just going to say that, like Solar Federation, right? So I know Tom Sawyer front to back, you know, I've heard it a million times. And so, you know, 20, 30 seconds before that solo starts, I want to make sure I'm in a position, you know, to get Eric, the guitar player, in my sights and zoom in on his hands, zoom back out, get the facial expressions, you know, all of that. Uh, you can't get too engrossed to where you're, you know, just listening to the music and getting sloppy with the, with the camera work. So somewhere in between there, you know, being a, a, a real fan and, a, you know, a music fanatic, but then also I'm... You're a business I'm, person. Yeah, I'm there to do this to do this job. I don't want to miss these shots. So speaking about being a business person, marketing is another thing. Oh, marketing, yeah. Like for photographers, um, so I don't know that I've done a good job of that over the years in terms of you know websites and and e newsletters or any of that kind of thing. You know, I think most of my business comes from just connections in the community, people I know, word of mouth. Now, you got to have a website if you're a photographer because you need a place for your portfolio to yep. live. And I don't even know if I've organized that in a way that makes sense. You know, I've got some categories, uh, nature photography and travel and music, of course, and macros and things like that. I don't think anyone's going there and looking at it and picking up the phone to call me. Instead, you know, they're talking with a colleague, uh, someone else in their company. They're like, oh, we really should get some new corporate headshots. Well, my buddy knows this guy, Vince, and... You know, maybe that's something he would do, or you know, used him years ago. You know, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I I made an, a weak effort to get into the Instagram uh, thing, and I just can't do it. I just, you know, it's, it's too many extra steps. Yep. I have other hobbies, and, and again, if if my website and Facebook isn't really selling things, if it's all, you Word know, of mouth. Yeah, yeah, then then I just really don't want to do it. Uh, maybe I'll revisit it, but. You know, from what I'm reading, there's kind of a backlash against Instagram for, for photographers because they've changed how things right. load they've, or look. Yep. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. I don't know much about that. but They've added, un, not to mention they've also added like reels and stuff. like that. Reels. That's their main thing yep. now. They want to become more like TikTok. And it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not a photo app anymore. It's a real app. Right. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. So, at, I mean, at risk of sounding like an old timer, I barely know Instagram and TikTok I haven't seen in person once. So, <laughs> you know, I, I like Facebook, I guess, it, you know, marks me as a, as a, in the older crowd, you know, I still like that. But, um, yeah, but if you can write, that's helpful. We talked about that earlier. Uh, because, you know, if you make contact with somebody who maybe wants to hire you to, for, for a gig, well, your writing is reflected in your emails and, um, you know, things like that. Um, can you put together a good proposal that spells out, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get access to my site. You can download high-res images, A, B, C, and D. Um, you know, do you need model releases, things like that. Um, you know, I did a, a couple couple days of shooting for uh, Lake Tobias in mm. that wildlife park uh, I guess it's outside of Harrisburg or yeah and uh, they weren't really you know they didn't have release forms for kids that would appear in the park so that's another type of thing you have to consider too when you're taking on gigs you know do you need model releases do you have people under 18 is it in a public setting where it's okay that people are captured you know in your images uh, so I ended up uh, taking a friend from work and his family because he has th three adorable redheaded kids. And so they got to go to the park for free. And then I'd follow them around and they would do all the park things like go to the petting zoo and go on the rides and, you know, see the animals and things like that. So that's a good way to get around needing to pay models or uh, get model releases or anything like that. Find some friends uh, who seem to fit the bill and uh, have, a fun time. Have, have a fun time. And don't mind me, I'll be back here with my long lens. You know, you don't want the nine-year-old to be conscious that you're taking your picture every... Right, every, <laughs> every picture of them looking at the camera. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, money shots for, uh, for for musicians. What do you think, in your opinion, is the best marketable uh, pictures you can get for musicians? Yeah, well, I guess it's going to depend on the act and, the, you know, the personality of the band. I mean... You know, the ones that uh, stand out the most, that, that look cool, that say rock and roll, those are your guitar players, right. Gibson or the Strats or, or whatever, and especially if they're kind of dressed for rock and roll. Um, you know, I did those shots for uh, Smokehouse 4 uh, at the East Peat thing, and I was reviewing those this morning, and, you know, the guitar player shots are pretty cool. Uh, and it's really up to them because we all look at ourselves differently than... So, so that guitar player sees photos of him differently than I see him. And he might hate these three because his face is a certain way. I don't know that. But then he lands on this one, and it's like, oh, man, that's going to be my you know, Instagram profile photo, and we're going to use that on our flyers and everything else. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say. But, I mean, you can't go wrong with singers, right, especially if the, if the lighting is, is just right and you get a backlight and there's hair and the hair's flying around like uh, you Julie. You get a really good face. <laughs> yeah, you get a good face. If it's an emotive uh, person, that helps out a lot. So like Julie from Solar Federation, she's got this curly hair and, you know, she gets into it and I'm always looking for ways to get a light right behind her, but not so much that, you know, Solar. she's dark in the foreground. you got to resolve uh, those lighting situations. Um, you know, some bands are easier than others to get those money shots. So at, at the East Pete thing, uh, Smokehouse, I said... Uh, Hey, I'm going to be this. I introduced myself to the band, mm -hmm. and uh, you're going to see me here, there, around the stage. If you see me, give me a rock and roll pose, right? You know, and you know they're not uh, they're not always going to do that. So right, the bass player is just kind of there, and I did get him to look at me once and sort of smile, and and then you can run into another band where you know they're all about the, the energy, the activity, 
jump up in the air with a guitar. So, yeah, it just really depends. Yeah, for any musicians out there, if you see a photographer or <laughs> and and you, especially if you're a local act, yeah, uh, the best free press you're gonna get is is by going to these festivals or performing at these festivals and hamming it. All the way to 11. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's yep. when you're going to get your photography. That's when you're going to get everything that you have ever needed to market yourself. Like the headshots for posters or yeah. that jumping guitar clip. You're going to probably want that on every single <laughs> right. uh, gig that yeah. you know, that's, that's applicable. Absolutely. Yeah. And some bands are better at it than others. You know, they, they know how to work a room or a crowd and establish, you know, Bobby's great at that. Bobby Gentio. Mm. I mean, you can tell he's a consummate live performance professional he and he's got it done really pat. great so it's so turning into the bobby gentile show so yeah. <laughs> i'll have him on eventually yeah definitely you bobby. should he's an interesting character get we, in here bobby <laughs> we, it's been a running joke between me and him that everyone that, that everyone that's ever been around him is always hammering on it get on the show get on the yeah show. yeah right uh but yeah, he's a hard man to pin down he'd be a great guest though but yeah uh, but yeah, so that you know, that's just some of the kind of live music tips, and I'm um there are people doing it, uh, you know, friends that I've met who are who are better at it than me. Mm -hmm. uh, at least I feel they are. They come up with better images uh, than I do, and that's okay. I, I try not to um, stress out over that, you know, because I go back and look at those older pictures, and I'll bet they have older ones mm -hmm. too. Uh, from when they first started doing it, they're you know they didn't quite know what they were doing. It's always everyone's on their journey, and everyone's at a different part in that journey. Absolutely, and so, you know, now I'm scanning for shows and looking for opportunities in my schedule to just go see something, whether it's paid or unpaid or, or, or whatever. And uh, I would just say this to your viewers and listeners: support local live music. You know, keep coming out for that. Uh, the more of those shows that are out there the better we're going to get as photographers mm -hmm. and, you know, the better you're going to get as performers and live and audiences. And the more fun you're going to have. The more fun you're going to have. You're it's, supporting the local economy. Absolutely. It's supporting local business instead of going to, like, Walmart. Or, you know, yeah. What, yeah. Go, to your, go to your local live bar, music place. Absolutely. Phantom Power. I mean, any of those places are just great places. To see I'll shout out Phantom Power, actually, this Saturday. Okay, cool. Uh, this Saturday, they're having a festival at Phantom Power, so it's at 4 o'clock, $10 in advance. Otherwise, QDK, we mentioned. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, they're uh, awesome. Uh, Quentin uh, Jones, I had on yesterday, uh, David Usikinen, and Kenny Aronson, who's played for like Bob Dylan. Kenny Aronson is amazing. He amazing. blew me away when I saw him with a couple different bands. You just look at him play and his stage presence, you're like, there's a guy who knows what he's doing. He's seen some things too, and they have a free show this this Saturday at the, the Dirty Old Tavern. Okay, so check right them. Yeah, they check them out at nine o'clock. It's when they start. It, you know, seeing the big names, um, that's great too. I love a big rock concert. You know, we had tickets to see Foo Fighters, and then mm -hmm. you know the whole thing with Taylor. Uh, but let's face it; I mean, that's getting expensive. Especially if we have kids, it's it's you know it's a two can be a two three day thing. If it's in Philadelphia, you want to stay overnight, mm -hmm. so maybe you take the train. The tickets are through the roof, uh, and the parking and all of that, and it's a two hour show. Right. Uh, whereas with local bands, you know, you could go see three four different things uh, on one weekend if you wanted to. Yeah, and like we said, the East Pete Blues Fest, free. It was free. Free yeah. for what was it? Seven hours? Seven eight hours? 
uh, it felt like it when it yeah. was over. I mean, I was right. Yeah, you know, I was it pretty started tired at out. one and went until nine. Yeah, -ish. yeah, yeah. It was, that was great, and um, it's free. I know. I love that. That's a that's a good thing, uh, and and you don't have to go far for it. So I hope oh. they do it again next year. I um, uh, uh, Randy, who I think kind of coordinates and runs all mm -hmm. that, said it was a better turnout this year than last. So. Yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, some of the photos that I took of these fans and my other photographer friends that were there, they've shared them all online. So hopefully I've been seeing all that gets, photos. yeah, Very there's good. tons of them. Hopefully that, you know, next year when it comes around, people will remember seeing those and, and they'll come out for it too. What are some mistakes that you have made or you've seen other people make within the industry and how can we curb that for future generations? Oh, for like photography in for general? photography, writing. So, uh, some of the things that people should know. Yeah. So I've had some friends who went down that whole rabbit hole of stock photography. So mm. where you just kind of pick a theme and you go out and you take a whole bunch of photos and then you place them with a, a stock agency. And uh, it seems like, well, that's a good way to get residual income from all these, you know, but you don't really make any money at that. And it's a lot of work and care and feeding and you're always worried about, you know, your images being misappropriated you don't know where they're going to be used so I don't know if that's a mistake I, I would just think caution caution you know yeah. go into that with eyes wide open um, you know when it comes to covering live music events I, I'm not sure because I've only been doing it you know for a relatively short period of time and the friends I made around here who do it kind of seem like they know what they're doing you know uh, Dan he's got it down Dan Gillespie he, he knows what he's doing so kind of just watch them and you know I think if you were a prima donna in some way when you're shooting these things or you get too pushy mm. you know that would definitely be a turn off because you might shoot this band again later and they're gonna remember this this jerk photographer who was like can I get you guys to get together again in here let me get a picture and you're taking too long mm -hmm. and boy they're tired they just you know poured it all out in the stage and they just want a cold beer and you know they'll take one picture so get that photo and leave them alone, you know, at that point. Uh, but I can't say I've seen anyone do that. It's just a sense I have of that seems like the way to, seems like the way to do it. It yeah. seems, unless you're being paid specifically to, yeah. do, to do the shots. And they know. That, and they know that right. like, they booked you to do that. Right. Uh, stay yeah. out of the way. Yeah, stay out of the way. Yeah, be, uh, don't be seen or, <laughs> or heard, you know, figure out how to use your, your feet. Uh, mm -hmm. as, a, as a zoom in and zoom out mechanism, uh, that kind of thing. You know, in, in the writing trade or the writing craft, you know, I haven't done that as a full-time professional thing in a long time. I'm glad I don't work for a newspaper right now, I think. Um, yeah. Or I would be adapting to, you know, the changed world of journalism that we live in. Um, you know, so don't really have anything there other than what I said before, which is, you know, learn brevity. You know, there's, there's an old saying that uh, says, uh, I would have written, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time. So think about that, right? A short, succinct letter takes more care. It does. It takes more time uh, to write. Uh, and you, you know, you do your reader a disservice when you clutter up writing uh, with waste our time, waste our time, yeah. Or even worse, they get I can't be bothered and skip. Yeah, right. And and there's even acronyms now for that. The too long did not read, yep. you know. Yep. And I got to use that at work sometimes when I'm uh, writing something about you know a technical piece for 
for my work audience, which is all the employees. So mm-hmm. I, I run the, uh, you know, we have our own internal blog, and I have one on uh, security, right? So viruses and phishing or whatever. I got to do that too long, did not read, yep. you know, which is two sentences, like, don't forget to update, blah, 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 and watch out for this. And then there's the rest of it, which still needs to be succinct. Uh, and it's just there for people who want more details on it. If they don't read the rest of it, it's not a big deal. I mean, I wish they would, but, you right, know, i got to be realistic because they're also getting 500 emails a day and they're getting pinged in our project management software and they're on deadline and, and things like that. So try not to take that uh, personally. And, hey, it's not like I'm writing, you know, a novel, right. uh, you know, or anything like that that, oh, they didn't like it or they didn't read it. <laughs> What's you meant? You mentioned. Uh, well, I'll go with this next question. What's one of the most memorable lessons you've ever learned? Oh gosh, um, just in life in general, I guess. Um, well, it's probably something I learned from my from my dad, uh, which is you know meet people where they are and, and be kind to them. Try to be kind to them no matter what. Um, you know he. He's, he's gotten some, you know, in a rural uh, rural area, small town, people can be weird sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he just kind of figured out a way to not internalize that. Just keep being who you are. Just keep being a nice guy. Um, so you if know, you want to go anywhere in any business, the thing that's going to get you the furthest is being nice and cooperative. Yeah. Kind, 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 yeah, kind, kind and, and yeah. nice. Um, and, you know, there's other lessons that, like most people my age, we wished we would have learned them sooner. But, you know, you grow and you learn. But that whole idea of, you know, the person next to you in, in line at a Starbucks, um, you, don't, you don't know what they've, you know where I'm going with this. You don't know what they're going through. They could be struggling right now just to hold on. Um, and you just don't, you just don't know. You know, everyone's inside their own mind. So, you know, that comes back to that whole being kind type thing. Um, and you know, I, I like to be generous when I can. So I've done photo shoots for like a single dad who didn't have a lot of money for a, a full on professional session. Um, and I think I charged, you know, very little or it was almost free. And, uh, you know, he kind of teared up a little bit, uh, when we parted, he's like, let me know how much I owe you. And mm-hmm. he's like, don't worry about, don't worry about it, it, man. I've, I've kind of been where you are too. So, um, you know, anytime you get a chance to pay it forward or just show a little bit of kindness, doesn't cost a lot of money. Oh. Uh, you don't have to invest your whole life in that unless you want to. That's great too. But um, yeah, just sort of some empathy, I guess. And you know, again, it's taken me a while in my life to get there. Uh, you know, I don't know how old you. you I'm 22. 22. Yeah. So when I was 22, <laughs> I think I had a much different personality than I do now and a much different personality probably than you do. So, you know, arrogant, brash, really self-centered, and, and that's kind of a normal thing. And then and then uh, life hits you upside the head a few times. And you realize. Yeah, you refine your approach and say, boy, that's, this is really, where is this going? No, right. we're, no, we're good. And I don't like how I feel you know, about things. So, But every day, though, you got you got to work on it every day. What is one of the funniest things or worst things you've ever captured or seen? Yeah, captured or seen. Well, when I was at Lake Tobias, the wildlife sometimes, they weren't aware that in their intimate moments uh, that someone was there photographing them, so that was kind of wild. But um, 
some really neat things. Uh, I went to Kenya one time on a photography mm-hmm. trip, and uh, I, I saw some crazy things there. Um, you know, of course, there's the, the giraffes and the elephants and lions and all of that. Uh, but one part of this tour went into a Maasai village, and that just, like, blew me away. The Maasai is, uh, like, a native tribe, and uh, they wear all the, you know, uh, their original clothing, and they, they're in huts with uh, mud or dung roofs on them. And uh, so I'm taking their picture, which they're, they're fine with, except I didn't know there was kind of a caveat to that. So when you're done with the tour and you see where they live and you take the pictures and pictures came out great they're so colorful and everything uh, but then they form this ring and this is big dirt patch and they all go away and they come back with these uh, pieces of cardboard with like trinkets and jewelry and stuff like that that they made and the unsaid part of that was okay we let you into our village and we let you take pictures of us now buy some of this stuff mm. <laughs> and so they paired us up with different people and I was with this one tribesman who, I mean, he was just a physical specimen. He was kind of scary. Like, he could start a cornerback in the NFL. And he kept pointing, and he's like, you buy this. My, my mom made this, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm buying this, this bracelet right now. So that was kind of a trip, uh, photographing them, you know, just doing what they do. Uh, it was really it was an eye-opener. Uh, sure. So that was kind of funny. Uh, but beyond that, I don't think there's been anything crazy where I've captured, you know, somebody falling off the stage or, you know, any, anything shot. like that. Not yet, but, you know, there's still plenty of time to, to figure that out. What is one thing you would have to say or one piece of advice to give to any future photographers or writers? Yeah, do it. Do it as often as you can. Uh, you're going to be bad at it. So what? So what? You don't have to show it to anybody. Um, if you're a photographer, take the pictures, put them on your computer, look at the ones that you like, but really look at the ones that you don't like and see why. I mean, probably framing and lighting. Those are the two big things. But then you can also look at other parts of that image too, sharpness and things like that. And today, software is so great for photography, Lightroom and Photoshop and all that. You can inspect the property of every picture you've ever taken Mm -hmm. and say, wow, here's something that these ones I don't like all have in common. I had my ISO set too high, and that's why they're grainy. Or here are ones that turned out really well. You know, you can go through your whole uh, photo archive and filter on a lens. So I came to find out that my 7200 Nikon, I've used more than anything else. And when I look at the images that I have from that lens, they're the more successful successful ones right so if i'm not sure what to take out that i can't go wrong with that lens probably a lot of other people feel that way about that lens as well um so yeah just do it every day how do you suggest someone does it gets into it yeah how do you suggest uh i mean it's a i boy i don't know everyone's different it's a self i mean set aside the time Um, I mean, what's the biggest objection people have to, I want to learn to play piano, or I want to learn to do this or that, but I don't have the time. Well, I know for myself that's a bunch of BS because, you know, I've watched a whole bunch of Netflix series front to back, and you need that in your life sometimes. Of course. A way to decompress, but, you know, most of us, unless we've got, you know, large families of young children, single income, that kind of thing, most of us can find time to to uh, spend a little bit every day on their hobby if you want to be a writer um, what are you going to write about well journal right nobody has to read it 
Uh, yeah. and, and there's different ways of journaling too. You can do exposition-based journaling where you kind of describe the events of the day and you try to work in the details of the, the weather and the, all those types of things, you know, make observations about, so I met with my boss today, you know, and he seemed a little nervous. Uh, he was wearing a suit, which he does, you know, all those just little things. Uh, it just helps you get those words on paper and then read. you got to read all the time. Uh, I don't care if it's just Stephen King or what, uh, but you're just going to, you know, you're going to improve your vocabulary. You're going to see how other people do it. And then if you're, if you're interested in fiction, uh, find that writer that you like and just rip them off, right? I mean, right. Like, write your own things in their style. Uh, and the same can go for music, too. So, you know, you, if you like Neil Young and you like the Eagles and things like that, and you want to learn to write your own songs, use those chords that they use, just in different combinations, and then... Figure out what they did, make it your own. Yeah, make it your own. your own style will form right. over time. Hey, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Led Zeppelin's one of the greatest bands ever, and we know their backstory on, you know, how some of their songs came to be. So... It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has, Corey. Thanks for having me here. If awesome. You want, if you want to find Vince, where can they find you? Uh... Focusphoto.biz, that's my website, and um, that's that's basically it. You can get a hold of me through a website form, I think, uh, if you if you uh, need a photographer. Uh, but if you want to find me, you can also find me probably at Telus in the Englewood and, you know, Roots and Blues in East P. Just, you know, you know what I look like, so just look for the guy, the little guy with the big lens. That'll be me out there sweating it out. If you want to follow us for... for future or past episodes you can find us anywhere on just search up the story cory rosen c-o-c-o-r-y-r-o-s-e-n we're on spotify apple instagram wherever you do your you're watching if you want to tune in make sure you tune in tomorrow we have uh octavia uh harp uh not harp uh harmonica player and guitar player that's going to be airing at seven o'clock this saturday we have alexa christian Coming over, and Sunday we have Caleb Stell from Rascal Revival. He's an awesome, I think he's a Croatian, Croatian, and he plays violin. So I'm really excited to talk about that and hear about the influences that that right on. that have, because apparently violin is popular in Croatia. Huh. Which I never, I never thought of. I don't know. All right, thanks, Find Corey. There, Evan. Appreciate it, man. With all that said, I hope you guys have one fresh day. I'll see you guys later. Bye.